Jimmy Van Heusen wrote that song for, for uh, in the 40s with four movie, they called Bing Crosby. And the reason why I know that, at that time, Jimmy Van Heusen was dating my second mom, Kitty Cowan. And an interesting story about that, his real name was Chester Babcock. And he didn't like that name. And he looked down on his shirt and noticed his shirt was called a Van Heusen. So he changed his name to Jimmy Van Heusen. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. For me, it's happy Sunday already. I know. Happy Valentine's Day for those of our friends who've moved to the East Coast time zone. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Happy Day to you, too. Same here. And you can always give us a call tonight at 714-545-2071. The water is warm. The water's fine. There's no snow here. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Mother 
Mother Nature is not being kind this winter at all. I was when I went to bed last night, Patricia, and turned on the uh, CBS News. One of the top stories were: Forty-nine states have snow. The only one that did not have snow was Hawaii. Hawaii. Yep. Uh huh. I know, uh, and that was my surprise. Florida had. Uh, school closings because of snow this week. Oh my goodness gracious. In the northern part of the state, which of course abuts uh, Georgia and Alabama, and those states, people say, oh yeah, well, they get snow once in a while, but it's very unusual for any part of Florida to get snow. So we are the sunshine state. This week it was the snowshine state. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> we Californians would say when we <clears throat> get rain, we really call it liquid sunshine. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just little dewdrops <laughs> breaking up the city. <laughs> well, it's 46 already, and it's going into the 30s mm. here. And I am in southwest Florida, which is on the tropic-subtropic line. Um, so you should be warmer in your part of the neck of the woods than other people in the state, right? You bet. You bet. We are um, actually, you know, the, within the the line between subtropical and tropical, it kind of wiggles. And, um, you know, if I look out my back window, it probably is the tropics out there. <laughs> it truly is. A, uh, we're considered the tropics and the subtropics. And we are down to 46, and it's going to go into the 30s tonight. I'm not built for that. I know. You <laughs> ran away from that stuff, and it followed you down. Oh my goodness, it followed me down. Yeah. Somebody hooked it on the back end of the bumper and just <laughs> down. But I know our northern friends are laughing at me for I know. such a wimp, and I, I agree, I'm a wimp. But this is too cold for me. That is not fair. That is not fair. After you made all that expense to move away from it, it came down to follow you. That's just not right. Oh well. That's okay. We get more sunshine than the average bear. That's true. Just want to mention next Saturday night, everybody, Patricia will be with me at the top of the show. Uh, so put that on your calendar at 10.30 Eastern Time, because we have a live guest, don't we, Patricia? Yes, we do. Do I get to say it, or do yeah, you? No. All right. We have on uh, the schedule for next week, Dr. Nikki Smith, who is a professor emeritus at Mississippi University. Um, and that sounds so ponderous when I say it like that, but he is a delightful person. And anybody who writes a Ferber McGee and Molly book has got to be barrels of fun. So um, Dr. Smith, Mickey Smith, wrote a book about um, Ferber McGee and Molly during the war years, and it is called How Ferber McGee and Molly Won World War II. Um, I have the book. It's got lots of pictures in it, but it's just loaded with information about individual shows that were especially ones devoted to war efforts. And um, we have two more of those shows tonight that have to do with the war, and we're doing this, so we're going to have a test next week. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You think <laughs> we're going to pass? Every, ev oh, everybody has to pass. Oh. Everyone who is listening... Um, is getting primed for next week's interview. It really should be a lot of fun. Um, the book is a great deal of fun, and um, I'm really having a good time going through it. The, the guy got the sense of humor. He said, I'm going to call you Wally, is that okay? I mean, so anybody going to, as a college professor, is going to be just loads of fun, uh, uh, comfortable, warm. It will be a pretty interesting evening to have him on. 
really with, happy to hear that. I know you had an opportunity to talk with him for yeah, a little bit, and yeah. I haven't had that chance. I know. So uh, this poor man is coming in cold with <laughs> And then we're going to play. Have a really good time. We'll have further shows after that, so depending on how many Patricia wants to pick out that evening. Oh. One, I two, three, me. four, whatever she, her, her little heart decides to pick. I've got loads of World War II questions for him as they relate to the show and different things that Fibber and Molly talked about or incorporated into the show, Don Quinn and the other writers incorporated into the shows, and some of them are really interesting. Um, so it just plays into my thought that we should dog and pony some of these old-time radio shows into grammar schools and give the kids first-hand peeks at... American history. A whole lot easier listening to Fibber McGee and Molly than it is to a teacher at a blackboard. Uh, you know, last week, Patricia, remember we were talking about the weather and uh -huh. how it wasn't reported in the uh, in the newspaper. Right. And I was going through my, I have a set of World War II songs that are really not the uh, uh, memorable World War II songs that people know. Uh -huh. It's like an eight-hour compilation set. Starts out from England. I don't know how many songs, then it moved to America. And one of the songs was about the weather being such a secret. Oh, isn't that crazy? Isn't, isn't that something? And I was thinking about that. So here, Patricia was wondering about that, and here there was a song saying that, you know, you can't report, you can't talk about the weather in the paper, so. Uh-huh. You're going to have to turn me down in, in just All right. Um, one of the really fun things mm -hmm. that's happening tonight, last week we talked about the newspaper not running forecasts, only what it has been in, in terms of the weather. Tonight's show, uh, Changing the Furnace from Oil to Coal, has that line in it. Really? Out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows, that's the one I picked. And when I listened to it tonight, I said, that's it, that's the line, wow. hooray! Hooray, hooray. It's, it's got a couple of World War II things in there that are are going to be really interesting to take a look at. And, of course, we have trivia tonight. So how do you want to do it tonight, Patricia? you want to throw a question out there? What do you want to do? We missed a couple of calls last week um, because we limited, I say we, I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> when I have to pass around the blame, I'm sure I'm just very happy to share it, Walden. I'll take it, I'll take it. You're, you're sharing my blame with me tonight. But last week we missed a couple of calls because I only had one question at the outset or one set of questions at the outset for one trivia prize. So tonight, if it's okay with you, I'd like to do it a little bit differently. Anything your little heart desired, Patricia. I'm All right. Well, here's what my little heart came up with. I have our traditional question where I give three different questions, all I need is one correct answer, the person gets whatever CD that person wants, if I have it, you've got it. After that, you and I are going to be talking a little bit about World War II before the show starts, okay. and perhaps a couple of other things. I'm not going to read out the questions, but people can call and just take your chances on the next set of questions, because I've got loads of them tonight. Mm. How, mm. how does that sound? That sounds like a word to me. Okay. So people get to take potluck. They take... That's exactly right. They yeah. take potluck. Mm. And these are not as easy as they have been. People are answering all of them. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just put a little edge on one or two of these questions, and we'll see how people do. Yeah? Well, I like that. All right. I like that. So you got, you, a little bit. 
Okay, you have our first question ready? Oh, sure. Are we ready? We're ready. Okay, three questions. All we need is one correct answer. And I've got some bonuses in here, by the way. Um, a person who wins a bonus gets two CDs and gets to pick them. How about that? Hey. Okay, first question has a bonus in it. The first question is, which product came in six delicious flavors? And if you can answer what the product was and the six delicious flavors, you'll get a bonus. One or the other, you get one CD. If you get both of them, you get two CDs. Okay, so that's the first question. Which product came in six delicious flavors? The second one is, and if you were listening to Walden's show, you ought to know this one. Who played, I swear this was the question that I had on the top, who played Marshall Matt Dillon in Radio's Gunsmoke? And the uh -oh. third one is Wallace Wimple, who was the hen-pecked wimp in Fibber McGee and Molly, had a hobby. What was his hobby? So we need which product came in six delicious flavors or who played Marshall Dillon in Gunsmoke, <coughs> excuse me, or what did Wallace Wimple do for a hobby? 714-545-2071 is our number. 714-545-2071. Two o seven one. Come and play, and you'll get a chance to win a CD of your choice. Seven one four five four five two o seven one. Do you forget? It should be on the website. So look at yesterdayusa.com, the homepage, and my number should be there. Seven one four five four five two o seven one. Nobody's going to ask if you Googled. That is true. This is true. How would we know if you Googled? And if the questions are too hard, you have to tell me, too. That's right. I don't think they're too hard. No. No. They're no. pretty good for old-time radio. I think they're really good. Especially since you just played Gunsmoke. I know. That was that was an interesting twist to what we just did. Uh-oh. 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 Hello, Carl? <laughs> Walden and Patricia, this is Ray in Chicago. Hello, Ray. How are you doing? Alright. You got any snow out there? Uh, well, we're having a heat wave. I think it was in the 20s today. Oh, be still my heart. <laughs> okay, keep talking uh, and making me feel terrible. As, as far as snow is concerned, I think we only have, we were dusted with maybe two or three feet over the last... <laughs> what was the most snow you ever saw in your lifetime, Ray? Well, I'll tell you, I lived two of them. One was in the 60s. Uh, it, it, it actually shut down Chicago for about three days. Wow. And that, that, that was a beauty. I think it was 67. That shut the city down, I'm going to say about six feet, something like that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when I say it shut the city down, at the time I was a salesman selling coffee to restaurants. And I lived about, oh, I'm going to say six miles from the factory. And I was able to get back uh, to the office, but I had to walk home. <sighs> and that, that night, I think it was a good four-hour trip. Wow. You got home by 1972. Holy cats. <laughs> yeah. So we're used to snowing here. So, Patricia, when I hear oh. going down to 30, I think that's a super heat wave to me. 
I know. That's that's shorts and T-shirt weather for some, for some people up north, and I recognize that. I am just such a wimp after being here for several years. It's My tolerance for cold isn't what it used to be. Not that it ever was anything to begin with, but I'm not good at cold. I do not do cold well, so you're very brave. Well, I'm... Uh... I'm really an avid golfer, so, uh, you know, I kind of, I got the miseries getting through this thing myself, but uh, we have some indoor um, uh, driving ranges there, a uh-huh. couple that I'm aware of, so I'm, I'm usually there, and uh, the health club I go to has an indoor driving range, and so, you know, I'm at least swinging the club, you know. So you don't lose the ball. <laughs> no. <laughs> You don't need a caddy at an indoor range. <laughs> That's good. That's good. How many months a year do you get out on the golf course in the Chicago area? Well, Patricia, you're not going to believe this. For the first 10 or 15 years that I played golf, I played every week throughout the winter. And I think I would average about, uh, during the summer, five to seven days a week. Wow. Are you avid or what? Were you one of the people out there with day-glow orange golf balls in the wintertime? Well, you know something? That doesn't work. Why? Because I, I have... It's in the snow, of course. In the snow, exactly. And you hit a beautiful drive with that beautiful orange ball, and it was in the snow. <laughs> it disappears. You, you, it's hard to get fairway roll with a snowstorm. <laughs> Let me tell you what I did. These are my experiments from many years ago. I used a tennis ball in the snow. Oh, oh! you should have had some distance out of that. So I went with a tennis ball. I went with a racquetball ball. Uh, let's see, what else did I experiment with? How can you put a racquetball or a tennis ball in one of those holes? How can you put No. <laughs> You know, again, I, I was at Dyden the Wooler, and I, I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that for the last uh, years or so. But um, You have a good golfing story. What's your best golfing story? Ah, uh, let's see. Do I have a good golfing story? A good, a good one, a good one. Let me think. I know I got a bunch of them tucked back in there someplace. I can't tell you a story about a hole-in-one. I can't do that yet. But I'm holding out hope for that one. Uh, Best score you ever shot? I uh, recently, in in recent years, my best is a 78. But I used to shoot in the 70s quite a bit, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm impressed. I, you know, I actually, I aspired one time in my 40s. I was in business and I said, you know, I'm going to go into business, and then I'm going to go on the senior tour, the champions tour. Uh-huh. I says, I'm going to, I'm going to really get my game in shape, and uh, and I'm going to try for it. Guess what? I went into business. I I, I couldn't find the time to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> so I went from hitting the ball. I used to be, I'm, I'm not that big or anything like that, but way back when I could hit a drive 275. Ooh. And with the wind at my back, I could, I actually drove a green uh, that was 301 yards way back then. 
and now a mighty drive with full power, all acceleration, uh, all my muscles in tune, I go about 185 yards. <laughs> I, could, I used to be able to throw a ball for a bit. <laughs> you understand you're talking to a person who could make a fortune on the first tee by collecting from people who would pay me not to play ahead of them. <laughs> I could really make an awful lot of money that way. When you say 185 yards, I want to say, gosh, with one stroke. <laughs> I have a 13-year-old grandson who outdrives me. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. But you go out and you have a good time. How many days? Well, of course, you're in the middle of winter now, and you do go to the driving range. But, well, you're a very brave person for having such a good attitude about so much snow and so much cold. And, oh, gosh, I look at the temperatures up there, and I just, oh, how can this happen? Mother, Mother Nature's having hissy fits this year. I tell you, I used to get down to Fort Myers every year. Uh-huh. A friend of mine had a condo down there, and it was it was a part of our golfing group. We had a uh-huh. foursome, and I did that for a good seven, eight years. And then uh, family circumstances prevents me from getting from doing that anymore. But yeah, you know, I miss that uh, that winter golf. We have a bunch of golf courses here. When probably not at a loss for choosing a golf course to play at. Yeah, someday. I'd like to get something south, you know, maybe go for a month at a crack, you know, with the mm-hmm. you know, play a little golf. Uh, Patricia, I'd, though, I'd, I'd like to tell you something. What? Uh, I'm one of those people who thought your questions were real easy. <laughs> but, but don't get carried away. <laughs> okay. Are these... And those rains... <laughs> Well, that's cute. (laughs) In between shows, I'll go back to typing for a while. Um, Are these hard questions? Uh, Let me let me see what I could do. Okay, I'll I'll start from the beginning. We'll do this painfully one at a time. On the first one, which product came in six delicious flavors? That would be Jello. Yes, it would be. You win. Good on you. Do you? Do you know which flavors are there? How many can you name? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, <laughs> no, chocolate jello does not make it. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know that I could do that. I, uh, uh, I haven't had jello in. <laughs> we won't say that. <laughs> well, uh, Walden, you don't have a, you don't have a uh, jello sponsor, right? No. Say he didn't have Jello. No, no, no. I, I don't think I'm running the 1942 Jack Benny show, so I'm okay. No. And uh, Henry Albright. I, uh, I was listening to a tape today uh, with Jack Benny uh-huh. earlier in the day, and he he went through that whole thing with the with the flavors. Uh huh. And I just can't. I I can't. Well, let me see if we can figure this out. We have strawberry. Strawberry. Raspberry. Right. Lemon. Lime. Right. Orange. Right. Okay, that's five. Right. Um. How about grape? Nope. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <Bad. laughs> that's right. Cherry? Yes! Yay! Very good. I had to go look. I, could, I was stuck on four. And I had four because I put lemon and lime together. I thought it was like seven up. <laughs> I put lemon and lime together. So I had 
had five, but I could not think of the last one, and it was strawberry. I missed strawberry. All right, well, boy, you guys did very well. You want to go for the other two and see how you do? Uh, yes. I now, mean, you, you've already won, so you've got nothing at risk. Okay, John Smoke is, uh, it, it fell out of my mind all of a sudden. But he was the fat man. Uh-huh. I don't know how many CDs of his. We, you just played it on there. Yes, he did. Uh, I, I know Parley, something or other, was Doc. But that wasn't Par Parley or Parley, was it? No, the, uh, the guy who played Doc with Parley, he substituted for Howard McNair. And Parley Bear uh -huh. with Chester. I'll give you a hint. Yes. I'll give you a hint. Okay. Uh, first name is William. William. I'll give you another. It's not James Arness. That's not a hint. <laughs> <laughs> James Arness's name was not William. I mean. <laughs> now, do you remember when he was on TV, the Fat, uh, on TV, the fat Man and Jake? Yep. Jake and the Fat Man. He also did Cannon. He also. Uh, oh, he did a, a police show where he was in the cruiser. What was that? His first name is William? William. William. First name is William. Want to do Wallace Wimple and come back to that one? Uh, Wallace Wimple, I think, was a bird watcher. Yes, he was. Boy, are you good. <laughs> See, that was... <laughs> and you were making fun of my questions. I'm sorry. Uh, they, you know, I was all... Now, he was the guy who wrote poetry or, or, or cards or something. That's uh, correct. He wrote greeting cards. Yeah, yeah. Good old Mr. Played him. Who played him? Uh, Walden, you would know, wouldn't mm -hmm. you? I would, but I'm gonna see if I'm gonna see if Patricia can come up with it. With who played who played Wallace Wimple? Oh, I know. I'm ready. Tell you. I'm ready. Bill Thompson. Very good. See, now, learning. Who who else did he play? Oh my goodness, he played the old timer. He the old timer. Right. He played. Nick I was Nicholas. trying to think of that. He played, um... He played, um... Well, he played Boomer, when they used to have the, right. the WC Field sound like in the 30s. Yeah, did he do Boomer? Yep, he did Boomer. He did everything. Yeah, he, he did that. He also played, uh, the Greek restaurant holder, Nick the Oh, Populous. yeah, yeah. Populous, yeah. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't last real long, no. though. Maybe a couple of seasons. That's something. true, yeah. And I liked Mr. DePopolis. I liked Nick DePopolis better than the old-timer. So I was disappointed when he went by the wayside and we got the old-timer. You know, according to the Fibber McGee and Molly books I've seen, that Cliff Artec mm -hmm. took over for Bill Thompson at the old-timer. I never, I haven't come across one of those yet. But uh, I saw that on uh, in some information about Fibber and Molly that Cliff Artec played uh, the old-timer for a while, yeah. and then Bill Thompson had it for the majority of the show. But he, you were right, he did. Yeah. Absolutely oh. did. Okay, oh. Ray, what would you like? Uh, yes, what would I like? <laughs> yes. Um, I would like, you know, Patricia, uh, I've already won a couple of times, and you've been very, very, very generous. Uh, I love prizes. And what I'm going to request from you are, I would like your favorites on one CD. Okay. Now, 
Um, Don't tell me what they are. I want to be surprised. Okay. What would be your second? What would be your alternative? Um, let's see. Because <laughs> I don't know what shows you like other than um, Vic and Say. Those are the only, that's the only show I know you like. Well, Ray, when you were growing up as a kid, what show did you used to listen to as a kid? Well, um, I guess my favorites were, uh, Pippa, McGee, and Molly. Mm -hmm. You know some I really don't have that many of them. Uh, I liked Fiddler. I was a big uh, Lone Ranger and and Hopalong Cassidy and Gene Autry fan. I, I lean toward comedy and the westerns. Um, those are the ones. I guess Hopalong Cassidy was my, my most favorite. Uh, and I always enjoyed uh, Amos and Andy. They, they were tremendous. Uh, I have a question, though, for you guys. Uh, this is always on my mind. I mentioned briefly once before a year or so ago. That fellow who played um, um, the maid on Fibber McGee, uh -huh. and he was he was actually he played Beulah, but he was a a, a a white male. Right, Marlon Hurt. And, and now I heard that he actually spun off to his own TV pro, uh, his own yeah TV program. And he played it for one year. Now, how in the world did he do that? Or did he? I believe he spun off into a radio program, and there was a Beulah TV program for a very short time, and it was a black woman who played that role. Ah. But, um, so, and he died early, though, right? Right. Yeah, very um, early. Marlon Hurt was built like a football player. In fact, that's what he did. He played football in college. Isn't that something? And he was a singer. I think he was part of a quartet that used to sing in radio. And as a gag, he could throw in this female voice. G give me a second here. That, that was absolutely fantastic. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. His phrase, the case was, love that man. Love that man. Yeah. And so... By about 19, you know, Fibber McGee and Molly, and Patricia can probably figure this out in the research, by the middle of the war, they were losing cast members left and right. Oh my goodness, I was just reading in John Dunning today, yes. And of course, when they lost Bill Thompson, they lost, what, four characters? Four characters. And so, Don Quinn, the writer, he was busy putting stuff together, trying to get, um, you should notice that's when Doc Gamble came in, middle of the war. That's when they brought Shirley Mitchell in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when they... Uh, He's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, well, Shirley's going to be with us live, by the way, Ray. You might, we'll put this on the, might, on the day that Fibber McGee and Molly turned 75 on April 16th. And so, oh, fantastic. So that, you, well, I actually it, tried to, to, to track her down, and uh, and uh, I thought I, I did, and sent her a note. Well, in fact, I'll, I'll arrange that. We'll, we'll have her on the line and people want to call and talk to her, they can. Oh, that'd be great. But uh, Shirley is a doll and uh, uh, she's going to reps. So, and I, I'm pretty pretty amazed. That I'm so happy that she still loves doing radio things and loves to travel and do that kind of stuff. But again, so Don Quinn would come up, need all the characters, and that's when Marlon Hurt, they decided to bring him in. 
and what they used to do, he would turn his back to the audience, so they had no idea what was coming. And then when they got up, uh, when February or Molly was at calling for Beulah, he would turn himself around and do that famous opening of his, and that was part of the, the shock factor of the audience, and that's why that you heard that big laugh at the beginning. That was, uh, that was fantastic. It was great, and that's why the audience laughed so hard. He was there. Everyone knew he was there. They just didn't know why. Right. And he was not facing them, as I understand him. Is that correct, Walden? That's right, yep. He was facing away, so the audience saw his back, and when he turned around, that was the character he played. <laughs> so, well, you, you know, there was another episode like that with uh, the great Gildersleeve. Every time he went into the drugstore, and hmm? every, every time the druggist, what was his name again? Mr. Peavy. Mr. Peavy. Mr. Peavy, every time Mr. Peavy spoke for the first time, the audience always cracked up. And yeah. I, I always wondered about that. I, I did too. And Troy Mitchell said that's how he sounded in real life. Oh. Richard Legrand had that, that sort of voice. Now, here's a trivia question for both, both of you. What did he play on Fibber McGee and Molly? Oh, dear, and I knew this. Well, when you say... Oh, yeah, he he had a character in the late forties, a Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, come! I even asked you that one night, Walden. I asked you and well, I'll have you guys think about that. I'll continue with the uh, the Beulah story here. Uh huh. Um, so Marlon Hurt got so popular, and that's when they went ahead and decided to create his own radio show. And he started, I think, from 45, maybe fall 46. Maybe Patricia can double-check that in Dunning's book. I want to recommend anybody keep an eye on John Dunning on the air. It's a great reference guide. And once a year, Oxford Press puts it available at a sale. And you can get it at a really good bargain. But anyway, so then he uh, was really going great gun and died in 1946, in, in his early 40s. And Amelia Randolph, I think it was, took over the role. That was Lillian Randolph, the you know the gal who played Birdie mm-hmm. in the Great Gillespie Show. So they finished it out. They had a couple actors, actresses, run the series. Uh, eventually, it became a 15-minute show, a nightly show on CBS. And then it moved to television. And our friend Stuffy Senior, if anybody heard third, he he played on both. TV runs of that show. Oh, that was, yeah, I really, uh, that was a great interview. It was really nice. What was that gal's name uh, previous to that? Uh, you had Janet. Uh... Well, uh, yesterday we had Beverly Washburn, and uh, we had Janet Waldo last Friday. And Yes, Janet and then, Waldo. And then we had... Superb. Oh, what can she... Enthusiasm. Oh, it was, it was... Janet is like that in real life. Wow. You know. Trisha, did you hear her? Yes, I did. Wasn't she wonderful? She is. She is a wonderful person. This is not the first time Walden has had her on as a guest, and she's the same way all the time, right? She just bubbles. I mean, she is a walking bottle of champagne. Now, you you know uh, Stuffy, uh, what, what, what was his last name again? Senior. Stuffy Senior. You know, he... Uh, uh, it, it took me a little while to warm up to him. Um, 
again, he was a child act, mm-hmm. actor. You could tell he, he, he uh, you know, he... Uh, I think he was worn out because he played golf all yesterday. So normally he's more bubbly, but I think after playing golf all day, he must have been a little tuckered out at the beginning of the interview. Well, at the end of the interview, he was really coming on strong, yeah. and, and it was really enjoyable. I looked him up on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, I didn't find much stuff, but uh, I really... Uh, uh, I really, at the end, when he, when he loosened up with Mike a little bit mm-hmm. about, uh, uh, you know, they talk about something with tax and law. And, mm-hmm. you know. That's right. I remember that. Mike has a very easy way about him. And it's easy to, to answer questions or slide into a conversation with him. So that doesn't surprise me that they managed to lock into a common interest. Well, Walden, I want you to know I really appreciate that new thrust toward the um, the old-time heroes. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful Bill cut me loose. And because, you know, I'm sitting there looking at over 100 phone numbers, and it, it would be a waste if I don't get to, don't have a chance to pick up the phone and invite these people to come on. Yeah, that is just super. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Patricia, yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go for now. Um and, uh, you know, I'll just look forward to getting uh, whatever. Oh, you know what I wanted to say? You mentioned Don Quinn. And Don Quinn did that series with the Colemans. Yep, the Horse of Ivy. Also, uh, yes. Now, that was one of my favorites, too. Guess whose favorite that is as well. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy that show. In Fine. fact, it's one of Walden's. Yeah, Walden true. is very fond of that show. I, I love that show. Yeah, I really like I like that, and uh, so if you could find anything with those, Patricia, it'd be great too. I, Whatever you do is fine. I have the halls of ivy. You will have the halls of ivy. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Ray. Good work. It's it's always nice to hear you on the program, uh, Patricia. Oh, it's well, then Thank you so much for the wonderful job you've done. I really. I'm so grateful that you have Patricia on a little bit more. Well, she's gonna be she's part of my Saturday feature, you know. I, oh, I, so she so we can always expect Patricia to be here. Thank you both. You know, <laughs> and for all those Jack Benny fans tomorrow, Joan Benny will be on with us live tomorrow night at the top of the show. So all you Jack Benny fans, uh, you get to enjoy the daughter Jack Benny on her dad's birthday. Not That's bad. wonderful. You guys have a good night. I'll be listening All right, Ray. for a while longer. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. And there's our friend Ray from Chicago. 714. Hi, we haven't heard from Ray for a long time. I know. 714-545-2071. You can give us a call. 714-545-2071. Who knows out there? Richard LeGrand. He was Mr. Peavy on The Great Girls League. What part did he play on Fibber McGee and Molly? Does anybody know that? I didn't cheat and I didn't look. The one, the, if one the only one that knows that, there's got to be somebody out there. Who did Richard LeGrand? <laughs> Who did Richard LeGrand play on Fibber McGee and Molly? 714 2071. If not, just call in and you can take potluck with Patricia. I have potluck questions. If you want to call in and play trivia, I'm going to be a very happy camper. 
but you're not going to get the questions ahead of time. Isn't this fun? That's good. Yeah, this Keeps is it. fun. Keep. I don't know. The question I called in to Frank with one night, and this was quite a while ago, was that I was starting to hear Richard Legrand and Dick Legrand, and it was on different shows, That, and I didn't know whether he was just swinging toward the more casual or if he had gone from the casual to the more formal. Frank thought it might have been a differentiation to keep different shows separate so that he was Richard Legrand on The Great Gildersleeve where he would have been Dick Legrand on another show. That was a guess on Frank's part. But I thought it was kind of interesting that he was using two different names in his professional life. That's true. You know, another famous radio actor that did that was Quentin Bud Collier. Yes. Because on some show, he was known as Bud Bud Collier. Mm-hmm. Other show, Quentin Collier. I don't know if he ever used all three. But, uh, so he was another one that would do that. So There were several of them who did that. Um, the rest of them escaped me because mm-hmm. Walden's the brain here and I'm not. But uh, there, there have been several different names I have picked up. People have been using different names. Same actor, of course, and similar, like Dick Legrand and Richard Legrand. But it's, it always strikes me as peculiar or an oddity that someone in the entertainment industry would refer to himself under two different names. You know, have you gotten to the point, uh, Patricia, in your old time radio listening, that if I were over the show, let's say Fever McGee and Molly, mm-hmm. you know those voices really well throughout the cast. Mm-hmm. You start playing other shows and you start picking up those voices on other shows. Oh, you bet. You bet. The first one, this was a very long time ago, but the first one that smacked me right in the nose was Harlow Wilcox. Mm. Because he did announcing for so many shows, and I was so surprised to realize that. But he was all over the place. I know Frank is fond of saying you could almost in the old-time radio day hear him do a show a night. Yes, and I believe it. When you go out and pick up the number of shows, and, and I don't mean episodes, I mean different shows, different programs he was involved in, and I'm... I'm guessing, help me with this, Walden, I'm guessing he did several of these shows at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. He in, in, Autolite, in, who, which show had the Autolite commercial? That was Suspense. And that was on Thursday night. Uh-huh. On uh, Truth or Consequences, on Saturday night, he was the spokesperson for Does. Uh, of course, he was Tuesday night, February, McGee, and Molly. Uh, Andy as well. Amos and Andy. I was another night. I think Sunday. Um, I think I think he did uh, Baby Snooks for a while for Jello. And oh, there's probably some others that I'm just not thinking of. But that's amazing. You know. And he didn't. And, and he was always an announcer. I've never heard him in a radio role. Yeah, I was reading his um. I have a couple of books that, which I think are great to know. Um, one called Radio Stars. Mm-hmm. Thomas puts it. It's 900 bios of radio personalities. Because I'm one of those, especially before Google really got popular, it said, okay, whatever became of this person? Maybe when did he pass away? What else did he do? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're of a generation that didn't live through that time. 
And so we're really, you know, we turn on a show and we hear that voice, but a lot of times, we never knew. It was sort of like my love for Doris Day. I, all I ever knew, she was a singer on the Bob Hope show. That's what I thought. I never knew she had a movie career, anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a, we're of that generation that, you know, so I'm always curious looking at a book and seeing what did these people do? When did they pass away? What did they do uh, for in their career? And it's just it's part of the puzzle that I like to put together. Did you find Harlow Wilcox in any actual roles in radio shows? No, according to the book, he uh, was a performer, an actor, I think in the Chicago circuits. And what that was, small towns in the Midwest at their entertainment would have moving stock company, like a fair, that would come in, like a carnival, mm-hmm. and they would raise the tent and put on things, and they would be in a small town for a few, maybe a week, and move to the next circuit, and move on, and that's where he got acting in, according to the book, if I recall, and then by the early 20s, uh, he moved into a salesman, and uh, I think a department store, selling like, uh, supp- uh, I guess like electronic uh, appliances or something. And he got really good at that. And somehow he must have hooked onto an advertising agency. And then after his February McGee and Molly days, he wound up being a local newscaster reading the news in the morning here in the LA market until his death. He had a voice that would not quit. He's, no. I think these are personal things, of course. Uh, you, you tell somebody, I love this piece of music, and the other person will say, what? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. But... Of all the voices in radio, his is the easiest for me to listen to. It's very soothing. It's not. It's not a. It's a, it's an interesting style because it's not so low, and it's not so high. It's a it's a good mid range if I could analyze his vocal style. That's just who knows. Just my guess. I agree. You know. It's, hello, Connor. Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Jim. How are you all doing tonight? Here's some post work, and um, I, uh, you've probably been at Disneyland, Jim. I didn't, I, I got it, really enjoy, brought back to me a lot of memory playing that Abe Lincoln. Um, well, I, will, I was last there in 1961, and I know it's changed a lot since then, but I did enjoy, unfortunately, I dozed off last night during your, uh, during the uh, Disneyland yeah, all the Disney stuff. presentation. But, uh, but it was, he was so excellent on it, I, can, I could see how his voice could, could get that scary image. I know, I know, and I, as a kid, going through those rides... You know, I'm lucky because Disneyland's in my backyard, so I've been, throughout my entire life, it's been something we go to at least once a year. I really never know who that those voices were. Well, yeah, you know, when you think of him and you think of Phil Regenscroft and uh, you think of all that, you know, your, your author was mentioning that last night, how he did that Spike Jones Spook album and, got, and uh, all of that. And it was a, um, those voices just, you know, added so much to... Uh, Regenscroft did a song on one of the Spike Jones albums. Uh, I, you may you can ask your author uh, perhaps the actual name. Uh, he mentioned it last night, but it had to do a sort of a Halloween album, and 
Bill Regenscroft actually did a song called I Was a Teenage Brain Surgeon. Uh-oh. With Spike Jones. Well, you know what? I You know, I think what most people might know his voice best for? Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. That, and uh, he also... <laughs> I can't get down. Yeah. yeah. And then he also did some uh, other things for Disney. He did... Uh, and he also sang backup with Rosemary Clooney on This Old House. Yeah, that was him. Amazing. That is amazing. Ain't gonna need this house no longer. He's the one that did that low voice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, he did uh, a lot of other things. Wasn't he one of the sportsmen at one time? He sure was. Mm-hmm. He was part of the sportsmen before, World War War, uh, before the Second World War broke. So by the time he, the sportsman were on Jack Benny, he'd left the group. Actually, he was on the Jack Benny show because occasionally they put the sportsmen in before this World War II, but they really never get Billboard credit. But they started getting credit during the lucky days. Right. Well, that was certainly memorable. I was going to mention one note about Harlow Wilcock. The first time, well, he did announce in 1933... The Adventures of Frank Merriwell, when it was a 15-minute serial, Chuck Shaden played the one-known episode of its, from its serial day, sponsored by Dr. West Toothpaste. And I heard him in, in 1933 on a recording once that Chuck Shaden played. Mm-hmm. And the another note about Harlow Wilcox is, in 1969, I got my Themes Like Old Times record album, which had all these 90 openings, and... And Fibbering and Molly was one of the openings. Well, later that summer, there was a country novelty record called, it was an instrumental played on guitar. It was on the Plantation label. The name of the song was Groovy Grubworm, and the artist's <laughs> credit was Harlow Wilcox. And I remember thinking at the time, it couldn't be, could it? Um, you know, you know. I, at the first, when I heard the name Harlow Wilcox, my first thought was, so he's still performing. I mean, he, he, of course, it turned out it wasn't the same Harlow Wilcox, but it's not a common name. No. There actually was a second Harlow Wilcox, and he had one, I guess it made the top 30 in 1969. It was a country instrumental called Groovy Grubworm. That is funny. A son, a cousin, a nephew, is that possible? I don't know. Maybe someone who knows rock and roll or country trivia might know in one of huh. the reference books. Because you're right, that is a most unusual name to have it hop up in another area of entertainment, my goodness. And you know, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of, I suppose there's lots of, it would be like, it's almost like another Jack Benny or another, uh, uh, another, you know, Art Linkletter or something. It's just, it's just not that common. No, no. But it was fun, but it was a, uh, it was kind of a fun novelty record. It was a guitar, you know, a guitar country instrumental, and it actually did hit the rock and roll charts as well. So maybe, maybe some of our rock and roll fans or country fans might know a little bit about it. But it was on the Plantation label, I remember. How about that? Jim? Yeah, I am ready. I have a question for you. I told you I was going to do some homework. Okay, I'll do my best. And, and it's not Blondie. That would have been cheating. And I even hollered. Every- Strange coincidence. Okay. Would you believe on when radio was just before John and Larry? That's what. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And I asked, I asked about Gunsmoke and William Conrad. <laughs> and Walden had just played a show. Okay. This is one that was in my files. I did not go out hunting this down. So uh, I want credit for this. 
And I will, and if I can't get it, just feel free for the next person who calls. You can any prize they they can have. Okay. Well, who was Dantro? D a n t r o. Dantro. Mhm. Hmm. hmm. You know what, Kim? No. I can't help you because I have no idea either. I think you've really done it this time. Yeah, I don't oh know. Oh my goodness. I have no idea. Intro was Planet Man. Planet Man. Okay, it was a syndicated show, right? Huh? Fascinating story of Dantro the Planet Man. And he was the troubleshooter for the League of Planets. It was kind of neat. It was, a, 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 I'll, I'll say, along the lines of a Flash Gordon, although I don't think it was the quality that Flash Gordon had. But um, it's kind of fun to listen to once in a while, and it really was in my files, Jim. I did not go hunting or anything. I do have a second one. Okay. All right. DeRocher and Day. What was the show and who hosted it? Well, I would assume... Since they were married at one time, Leo DeRocher and Lorraine Day. You are absolutely correct. It was a baseball show, a conversation. You know, they would they would have guests and talk nothing but baseball. And you are absolutely right. It was Leo DeRocher and Lorraine Day when they were married. I never heard that show. Uh, I do know that he had a show. I mean, I know Dizzy Dean had a show in 1948. Mm-hmm. It was sponsored by Johnson's Wax, coincidentally. And I know that uh, Red Barber in 1947 had a show called Baseball Clinic where he interviewed stars in the one recording. In fact, Walden played it. The Colorado group played it a few weeks ago. Babe Ruth was his guest. Mm-hmm. So lots of sports out there. Okay, there are not an awful lot of DeRocher and Day shows out there. But I will drop whatever is out there on CD and I'll mail it to you. That sounds good. You still have my address? Uh, if I don't still have it in my files, Walden will give it to me. Okay. Is that correct? Fine. Sure. Yeah, it's it's certainly. Uh, do you know have any idea what time, what era, what year it might have been on? Oh gosh, 1953. Three. How am I doing? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Ask me another question that I know, Jim. This doesn't happen very often. He managed the Cubs clear into the. Uh, you know, in '66 he. He came out of retirement, sort of, and managed the Chicago Cubs for several years. Well, I remember having read about Lorraine Day a bunch of years ago about how much she hated baseball and somehow still wound up being Mrs. Leo DeRocher. And as a result of that marriage, she really put herself to work and learned all about the game. So she was one, uh, she was a very good co host on this show. She was. She, uh, she did. Uh, that you might know. Uh, it's not so much radio, it's more movie related, but you might know the answer. What famous baseball player did Ronald Reagan portray in a movie? Oops. Think of a name of a president, Patricia. Oh, I was going to say Jim Pearsall. I don't know. Oh. Uh, uh, I'll give a trivia question on this one. Okay, that might be one a listener might know. Well, I think this might be tough. Okay. What president of the United States at one time had occupation to be a hangman? A hangman? Correct. You mean hang people? Correct. He was actually a governor, he was a part of the government to hang people. An executioner? An executioner. A president? Correct. This was was one of his million careers before he became president. Abraham Lincoln? No. After Abraham Lincoln. And here's another clue. He was the only president 
who ever served two non-consecutive terms. Correct. He also was famous for having a very successful cancer surgery on a ship. They wanted to keep it secret. They didn't want the word to get out. Because remember in the, uh, in the late 1800s, uh, if somebody thought they had cancer, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't want to publicize it. Woodrow Wilson. Before Woodrow Wilson. Before Woodrow Wilson. Correct. I don't know. I give up. I'm so embarrassed. My well, no, American no, this is good. This is good. Um, uh, this is very good. Let's see. Um, he served, he was the 22nd and 24th president of the United States. Um, the one who split, split him, who beat him out as the 23rd, uh, became, what the grandson of the former president of William Harrison, Benjamin Harrison. Um, anyway, I believe this gentleman married, with one of the very few people that got married in the White House. And the answer is... Oh, I know all of this information you're telling me, and my head just went ba-doink. Uh, he, was the very, he was the very first Democrat elected after the Civil War. Tell me who we're talking about here. Grover Cleveland. Okay. And the baseball player... Was Grover Cleveland, Alexander. It's amazing. Who, who, was, who Doris Day and Ronald Reagan co-starred in that movie, so... And who was the executioner? Grover Cleveland. I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go to bed and pull the blankies over my head. <laughs> <laughs> we had a strange thing to have on your resume, isn't it, Hangman? Exactly. I, I, hangman is a little bit easier than executioner. You could get away with, I put mm-hmm. pictures up on the walls or something, but oh my goodness, I had no idea. Yeah, Walden's real good at our, at, at, you know, with President's Weekend and all. He's he's he is um, president. a buzz on American history. He is a buzz. Well, I feel so good that I stumped you and that I didn't I mean, really go nuts about. Um, that really was a hard question, though. I mean, you know, the Planet Man. I've heard the name. I've never heard the show. I've seen it in some catalogs. Uh huh. Uh, well, I only have, um, I think it may have only run for one series, uh, for one season, but I've only got one season on my computer, so I'll put um, DeRosier and Day and Planet Man, if it's okay, it, put them on the same discs, or would you like um, separate CDs on them, Jim? Would that be easier? Well, well, you can put them on the same disc if there's so few, if there's, you know, just, you know. That's well, there isn't a whole lot. Fine. There isn't a whole lot of either one of them, but what I have, you will have. That was an interesting, uh, and you know, and I, I believe the Planet Man was syndicated. I don't think it was on a network. I have another trivia question for you, Jim. Oh, oh good, good that it's for Jim. Thank you. <laughs> Richard LeGrand, with Mr. Peavy on the Great Girls Week. Yes. What role did he play on February McGee and Molly? Oh, boy. <laughs> I have to think about that. Okay. That, one I, that one I can't. I, okay. You have me stumped okay. on that one. I just okay. can't think of it. Oh, my goodness. Jim, yeah. this is not a good night for you. <laughs> we all have them some. Here's another, here's another question. I really don't expect anybody to get this. Lorraine Day started her acting career on the stage in Utah. One of her fellow actors wound up being a very famous sci-fi, science fiction writer. Name him. Well, uh, I have Ray Bradbury. Correct. Very good, Jim. And what was the answer on LeGrand? 
Oh, I'm not gonna give that out. I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that from. I'm gonna keep it out and get people think about that for. If somebody calls in with an answer, by golly, I will send a prize. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You know, you know, I did hear him. Uh, what did I hear him on? Oh, I know what I heard him on. Uh, Max Mead has been playing the uh, Adventures by Morris shows on Saturday morning. Yeah, he's part of Carlton E. Morris Dock Company. You, you, I would hear him on I Love a Mystery and. Mm -hmm. Different things like this that. is his PV voice in this Adventures by Morris show. I mm. mean, he may have even said, I wouldn't say that, or something on mm -hmm. the back. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> that was just such a classic line. I mean, you just, you know, every time, uh, well, one time I forgot what it, I forgot what the context was, but he actually said it in a high, in one episode, he said it even in a higher pitch. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> And it was just—he added emphasis to it. Yeah, he, he was great. He was so good. Him and him and Judge Hooker were both. Well, the, the whole cast on that. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Interesting thing about hmm? interesting thing, thing about the girls we cast. All of them, at one time or another, were all professional singers in their career. Were they? Almost all of them, except for the gals who played Marjorie. You know, all, each one of them had some form of a singing career. Well, part I knew of about background. Birdie. Birdie. She had she had sung um, at different times on the show itself. Sure, but Earl Ross, Kim Christie, the guy who played Chief Gay, he really was a bass. And I know um, Waterman was a good singer. Good singer, Hal Perry. Good too. Hal Perry was a great singer on San Francisco radio. Waterman never sang much, did he, or did he? Yeah. On, on the show, he did. Yeah, on the show, he occasionally did. And of course, I I never saw the, the Broadway show Maine, but I know he was part of the cast. Waterman was. Yes. Mm -hmm. He he and Lucio Ball did, were the co-star in, in Maine, in New York, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Now, did she replace Angela Lansbury? Or, I know Angela did it originally. I think so, and that's part of the reason why uh, Lucio Ball's uh, okay. voice never was, was the same. She blew out her voice during Maine. Mm -hmm. I know she did the movie version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, um, and that was a thing, you know, that was a quite a... Uh, thing there, and of course, uh, what was interesting about that is even even Leo DeRosa, I mean, not Leo DeRosa, Julius LaRosa, I'm sorry, Julius LaRosa even had his career partially revived in the 60s when he had a, a minor hit um, of the song from Maine, We Need a Little Christmas. He did a version of that mm -hmm. in 1960. Still don't know the second role for Richard Legrand. I don't. Somebody out there knows the answer, and that's going to be a bonus question. If somebody calls in with that answer, that's worth two CDs oh, tonight. Oh, wow. Well, I'm sure someone does, and I'm sure someone will get it, and it's always a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you, Jim. And you have a wonderful evening. Stop listening, because somebody out there has the answer, Jim. <laughs> so anyone does, and I, and, congrats, and I know they will, and you have a lot of Fibber McGee fans, and uh, we're really looking forward April 16th, by the way. Oh, gosh, that's going to be so terrific. I'm so excited about that. And, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be, you know, a day that everyone should certainly take note of on their calendars, and if they have a chance to be off, I mean, if they have a chance to be near a computer or, or a Wi-Fi radio or whatever, they should certainly tune in. Mm -hmm. If they can't, they should certainly have, you know, if they can have the timing facilities to set it up and record it, because it's, it's uh, going to be Lav and from what I've heard, it's going to be a lavish special. And if anyone was a Fibber McGee and Molly fan, and most people who listen to this station are, 
they will they, they'll be very glad you'll be very pleased with this special because of all the interviews and excerpts and authors and and I'm, I'm glad by the way now you have the two new books on Fibber McGee oh yes and if they weren't fans before by the time this day is over they will be well, I'm sure they will, and uh -huh. of course, with all of your, your your research and Walden's, and by the way, you're adding a lot to the Saturday Night Show, too. I think a lot of listeners are really enjoying it. Hooray, that's great. Okay, Walden and Patricia, thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. And have a great night, and don't, don't stop listening, because somebody out there knows about Richard Legrand. Well, I will certainly give it a listen. Thank you. Right. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye. And 714-545. 2071. Do we have a really true Fibber McGee and Molly fan out there? Does anybody uh, know the Fibber? What did I do? I blew it. I does, don't know the answer. Does anybody out there want to help Patricia out? Please, please. Does anybody care? Call with either Richard Legrand and Dick Legrand, born in the same person, mm -hmm. or call for the next trivia sh um, game. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the next trivia show, right? <laughs> next trivia game. And you get no advanced warning on... Uh-huh. Uh -huh. uh -huh. That was Richard Legrand. There's, and that's probably Richard Legrand. Hello, Richard. No. Hello, Carl. Uh, this is uh, someone calling in about... Uh, and what, what's your first name? Ron. And Ron, where are you calling from? Uh, Truckee, California. Ah. Up by Lake Tahoe. Hi, Ron. What? Hi. How you doing, Ron? Oh, hi, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can't think of the character's name, but I'm sure I know who it is. It's the fellow who was married to Sweetie Pie who kept being thrown out the window. Well, the answer is that is, that is not correct. Nope. Well, in that case, I'm wrong. That's okay, but you get to have one of Patricia's potluck questions, though. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Uh, yes, so. Yeah, okay, because nobody got advance warning on this one. Okay, I have three questions, and you only have to get one of them correct, okay? Okay. All right, on the quiz show, you bet your life with Groucho Marx. He had a bonus prize. He would say, say the secret word and win $100. What happened when the guest said the secret word? Table the dust came down. Hooray! Say that again. Mabel, the duck, came down. A duck. Oh, good on you. Okay, well, you've got your CD. You want to try for the other two? You want to try the other two questions and see how you do? Okay. All righty. On the Great Gildersleeve, which of these characters belong to the cast? And these are characters, not actors and actresses. Bertie, Horace Hooker, Rumson Bullard, Mr. Peavy. Who belonged to the cast? Oh, about Rumson board that Mr. Peavy, Birdie, and Judge Hooker did. Uh huh. And who did? And you said Rumson Bullard did not. Did not. Rumson Bullard was one of his neighbors. Oh, oh. that's right. That was. Oh yeah. Oh, he was the stuffy one. But anyway. Um, yeah, that was uh, the uh, Joe Gordon. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. See, you're right on top of this. Um, and all you had to do was pick one of them, so you were you were right in there. Okay, this is your piece of cake question. Who was the announcer for Fibber McGee and Molly? Harlow <laughs> Wilcox. No, I'm just batting a thousand tonight, aren't I? <laughs> we talk about something, and there comes the question. Okay, so. Well, I appreciate it, but I really have a ton of uh, recorded radio shows, and okay. just offer your CDs to the next uh, person who calls in. I, I will do that. Um, there might be something in here somewhere that I have and you don't. So 
Uh, you know what my email address is, and if you don't, it's floridawriter at hotmail.com. Okay, well, thank you, but I really don't need it. I, uh, but I appreciate the thought, and I, I really enjoy the show. Well, it is fun that you called in. Thank you. Oh, bye-bye. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, well, All right, and that's a new caller for us, Ron from Lake Tahoe. Very nice, over near Lake Tahoe. I've been up there once or twice going skiing. Yeah, blind people do ski. Don't, yeah, that, that does happen. And they ski in California. That's right. They're not supposed to ski in Florida, although there were some people out there who wished they had skis in a sled last week. Ay, 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 ay. 714-545-2071. What part did Richard LeGrand play on February McGee and Molly? It's gonna, it's, you know, I'm, I might have to give a clue out if nobody's going to get this. Patricia's willing to give a bonus CD. Has four bonus questions, too. You know? So, 714. Oh, then, go ahead. 714-545-2071. Well, I'll just keep that question in the hopper, and we'll just... See how it plays out. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> so, um, we have a couple of really great shows for Fibber tonight. Tell me about it. What do we have? Well, we've got, I think this is the first one that you have in and ready to go is... We got a caller. Hello, caller. Hello. And who's this? It's Richard in Toronto. Hi, Richard. How are you doing up there in Canada? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. I got a guess for is, is that question still on or you is bet, it? You bet, you yeah. bet. Right. What did what part did Richard LeGrand play on February McGee and Molly? How about Mr. Old Timer? Uh close but not the right person. Oh jeez, I thought that was him. But but you got a chance to answer any Patricia's potluck questions. Alright, well There you got you have two choices. My Gosh, did we go all out tonight. I have got a traditional set of questions, the three, and you have to get one correct answer out of three questions, or you can go for broke and get a bonus prize question. Well, I don't care so much about the prize, so bring on whatever question you want to ask me. I'll, I'll believe let's, you that. Let's, well, it's, it really is your choice, because the bonus questions are hard. Okay, let's go with that. You want to go with that? Okay. Um, out of the hat. Um... In Fibber McGee and Molly, what was Teeny's real name? Well, sorry, what was whose real name? Teeny, the little girl next door. I know it. <laughs> Hello, Mary Jordan. Mary, yeah. Well, Marion was the one who played Teeny, but Teeny, the character. You want the you want the character name? Mm-hmm. Teeny actually had a first name. Oh man. Uh. Wow. How about Christine, for short? <laughs> that was a good guess. No, but it was a great guess. Wow, that was a common sense guess. Nope. You want to go for the regular ones? Sure, let's try that out. Okay, we'll go to the regular ones. And I'll leave that question open for anybody who knows what Teeny's real first name is. Okay, here we go. Out of these cowboys, which one rode a white horse? Cisco Kid? Red Rider, Hopalong Cassidy, or Tom Mix? That's question number one. Number two is, what kind of car did Jack Benny own? Ah. Uh. Ah. And number three, when Molly answered the phone every time, she said, 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. Was 79 Wistful Vista their phone number or their street address? 
Okay, let's see. The, the Jack Benny car, was it a Maxwell? Yes, it was. You got it, yourself a CD. How about the Cowboys? We'll just, I mean, you've got, you've already won, but on the Cowboys, we need a white horse. The Cisco Kid, Red Rider, Hopalong Cassidy, or Tom Mix? Well, I'll guess on that one. Uh, let's see which one had the most prominent of horses. Uh, uh, Tom Mix. Was a trick question. They all had white horses, so you are correct. Um, Mix had a white horse. Well, no, if it was a trick question, I'd be wrong, I suppose. I should have said all of them. Well, I mean, I, when I say a trick question, you couldn't go wrong, no matter who you answered. And if you answered all of them, you would have been correct. They all had white horses. The Cisco Kid, Red Rider, Hopalong Cassidy, and Tom Mix. That's amazing. They all had white horses. Who else had a white horse? This one would have been a giveaway. I have no clue. The Lone Ranger. Hmm. Certainly misnamed then, wasn't he? <laughs> I, I, pardon? The horse was certainly misnamed then, wasn't he? Silver. Oh, silver, yes. He was not a silver horse. <laughs> That's cute. Do you want to go um, and give a shot on whether or not 79 Wistful Vista was a phone number or a street address? I think it was an address. It was an address. You are correct. So you really, you did a bang-up job tonight. I need your address, though. Can you help me with an address? If well, I, I don't actually need the CD. Why don't you just give it away, just like the last guy, to the next person that calls? And that's, My gosh, you, I, I do appreciate it. The next caller will, because even without a bonus question, then the next person gets two CDs. Well, thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you so much for calling. Tell me, um, is this your first time calling in, Richard? Yeah, it is. Well, I'm so glad to meet you. This how did you find How did you find Yesterday USA? Well, I've been listening for years, uh, geez, I guess about 10, 12 years now, and uh, I have an interest in old-time radio, and uh, it just seems to be, uh, you know, it seems to be a, a nice family kind of uh, atmosphere, and I really enjoy listening to it. That is so super. I'm really happy that you called in, Richard. Thank you so much. Do it again. I will. Okay, thanks. <laughs> have a great night. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's Richard from Toronto, our first Canadian caller with Patricia on. 714 545-2071. Do you any starting to power up? You're getting bonus CDs. Oh, boy. You're getting bonus uh, CDs. You can have your choice of two of the uh, jackpot questions at the moment. The hard one is, what was Teeny's real first name? And Walden's question is, what role did Dick Legrand, who was Mr. Peavy on The Great Gildersleeve, what role did he play on Cibber McGee and Molly? 714-545-2071. Patricia's going to add bonus CDs in here. You know, so uh, take a shot. If you think either of those are too hard, I think she's willing to put, get in a potluck, a Patricia potluck for you too. So have potluck tonight. Boy, am I glad we've got extra questions tonight. This is super. <laughs> I think this format working out, Patricia. I think this is doing really well because people know a lot more than I did. <laughs> I get to look these things up and get the answers, but people are calling in and have the answers right at the top of their head. That's super. That's terrific. Yeah. So, um, we're getting we're into getting, go ahead. We're, we're getting into World War II, aren't we? A little bit here, pretty soon. Are doing World War II. This is their advanced warning. They have to get all primed for questions for um, Dr. Mickey Smith, who will be our guest next week. Mickey Smith wrote the, um, the book <laughs> in front of me, How Zibber McGee and Molly Won World War II. 
And it is chock-a-block full of shows that ran during World War II. They emphasize the shows that had war support themes to them. And uh, in, in essence, what, the one that we have tonight actually touches on something that is a war-oriented subject. I'm not... I, did not find this in the book. It might be there, but I didn't find this particular episode in the book. But this one deals with Fibber in his own way. Only Fibber could do it. Changing the furnace from oil to coal. R right. Uh, of I course. I wonder if that would have been a big job. I bet it had to be a big job to do something like that. I would think so, except that they had gone from coal to oil mm. at one time. Okay. Uh, and from coal to I'm sorry, they had gone from coal to oil, and now they were going from oil to coal because oil was needed for the war effort, and coal was much easier to find and to buy. You know, me being a, a, a youngster, I mean, and never living in a cold climate, it was always fascinating the old-time radio shows describe the process of keeping the house warm by shoveling coal. I never really... Of course, I never had any experience like that, so it's sort of always interesting and something I always ask my folks about, you know, how mm -hmm. what was the process? There are a couple of shows, one Great Gildersleeve that I know of and one Fibber McGee that I know of, at least one, there might be two, where a cold delivery is made and they hook the chute up to the basement window and they just pour a ton of coal into the basement. And, of course, the coal went into the furnace, and the furnace had to be banked or um, with coals pushed up onto the side so that they would stay hot and glowing during the night, and the fire would be easy to stoke and start up again in the morning. It was really a, a very elaborate process. So when oil burners were introduced and they could get delivery of oil, it was a lot neater to fill up an oil tank than it was to have coal dumped in your basement. So they went to oil, but then, of course, World War II broke out, and that meant that the oil and fuels were needed for planes and ships and um, in military needs. So people were going back to coal. I never I thought about them having had to have oil delivery. I never thought about that. Well, they did. And the, these big tanker trucks would show up with hoses and plug the hose nozzle, almost like filling a gas tank, plug the whole nozzle into an outside outlet, and the tank on the inside would get filled. And, I mean, some of them, from what my grandparents said and my parents as well, they were hundreds of gallons, hundreds of gallons. So I have a cold story. Yeah. Um, Santa Claus story, I know it, right? Yeah, well, this is this is a family story about coal. Okay. Um, probably some of you are wondering where the name Walden, my first name, it's a family name. I was named after my great uncle. Uh, he was also a Walden. And he, he was named after his great grandmother, which was her, his grandmother, which was her maiden name, Walden. So that's happened passed down to generation to my great uncle now to me. Well, my uncle Walden was a character. He was such a character, he did get coal in a stocking for Christmas one year. <laughs> it was a Christmas story. Yep. Oh, that poor man. Oh, but, but, the famous coal story. The Carhartt family in a small town in Wayne, Nebraska, where my mom and my uncle lived, town of 4,000 people, 
So, you know, small. And where everybody pretty much knew everybody. The Carhartt family ran the lumber company. And the old man was a good businessman, and, and he was trying to start off his, uh, one of his son in business, and his son was sort of the, uh, the black sheep of the family. You know, they trying to start him in the, in the uh, lumber business. And he went down, and they came out with these new coal, coal burners, I, I guess, whatever you would call them. You know, these the furnace to burn coal. Mm-hmm. So, my uncle Walden ran the drugstore in town. I guess he was their version of Mr. Peavy. <laughs> <laughs> and so they went down to my Uncle Walden and said, Hey, Walden, I'm going to make you a deal. Okay. Why don't you burn by one of these brand new coal furnace in exchange, I will give you a year's supply of coal. Well, my uncle could not resist. So he bought the deal. Well... When the young Carhartt son went back to the, told his whole man what he did, he, the, the dad couldn't believe that he gave away a year's supply of coal. So, the time when the winter time came around, old man Carhartt would used to drive by my uncle Walden's house. And if he saw the front door, if he saw the front or side door open, he would get home and call my uncle Walden, Wad, shut that door, you're costing me money. Good for him. <laughs> Conservation was born in alert people. <laughs> that's good. So that's my coal story in the family of the of the of, of uh, my. That's what I always think about coal. That is a coal. When we were kids, mm-hmm. we grew up in the house that my grandparents had owned long wow. time, and it was a very old house, and they had a coal furnace. But when we moved in, it had been converted to oil. However, there were exactly two registers, one in the center of the floor between the living room and the dining room on the first floor, and this itty-bitty thing in the floor of the second floor, and this house had three floors. And that was it in the middle of winter in the northern part uh, outside of New York City. This is snow country in the Hudson Valley, and there were these two registers for a three-story house. So a register is where the heat would come out, right? Huh? Sure. Uh, do you have air conditioning in your house? Nope, I don't. You do not? No. Uh, do you have heat in the house? They say we do. <laughs> um, the, you, you probably, if you put your hands up, you could probably feel the heat coming out. Yeah, they do. It, we yeah. have the little, um, in our house, we have the doorway and the vents are thing uh, above the door jams. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, the, the one that was in the floor was the size of what is over your door. Oh, my. <laughs> that heated. It did not heat three stories. <laughs> the, in the essence of the message is it did not heat three stories. Um, it was a pretty cold house, but um, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe my grandparents had the right idea by having a coal furnace instead of an oil-burning furnace in that. But anyway, this is the show that has the line from Molly. When Fibber asks what the weather is going to be the next day, Molly says... The paper doesn't tell what the weather's going to be in wartime. It just tells what the weather was yesterday. And through a process of elimination, I have figured out that they didn't want to tip any information to the enemies 
who depended on good weather for successful bombing raids. So they were very cautious with everything. And Walden, you started out the program talking about a song that referenced this. Mm-hmm. Anybody today? Yes. Yep. Yes. That was a good song, yeah, too. Good song. I do need to tell you one thing that I found while I was ferreting around for information. The question came into my mind, well, who was responsible for getting all of this fuel to the troops in other countries? Who did it, Walden? Probably the American allies, huh? The Merchant Marines. I did not know that. Well, that's what I found out, and what really blew me away was that during World War II, according to the statistics, the Merchant Marines lost more people killed, had more people killed than any branch of the Army. I never knew that. More than the Army, more than the Marines. It was one in 25 in the Merchant Marines died. And oh, totally we lost, I think, 300,000 troops in oh, World it, War II. It was just a, a staggering number. Oh, yeah. um, I've got 16,500 here, but that, that that's sounds... A, that's, a, that's probably the highest percentage of a casualty, one out of 25. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but wow. um, it, it just it, it just blew me away that they had uh, 215,000 people die. Yeah. But it was more than four percent of their entire um, manpower. Wow. It was one in 25, and to put that in perspective, the army was one in 48, the marines one in 34, the navy one in 114. The Coast Guard won in 421. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as I'm concerned, one is one too many. Yeah. But when you're looking at these on balance with each other, one person out of every 25 in that service, in the service of the Merchant Marines, died. Wow. Which is just extraordinary. I had no idea. No idea at yeah. all. So I'm passing that on to people, anybody who knows... Um, people who survived in the Merchant Marines, people whose grandparents and parents survived and did not survive, whoever it was, the Merchant Marines, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you have a family member, give them a hug. And give us a call. Yeah. Let us know. So that's my information tonight, that they went back to coal from oil, even though oil was cleaner, coal was cheaper, and it freed up some fuel for the troops. And it's got my favorite line in there. And the date of the broadcast is? October 13th, 1942. And Patricia and I will be back in 29 minutes and 30 seconds. So, here we go. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Bojangles of Harlem.
real number one reason for putting wax on your floors, furniture, and woodwork? It's for protection to guard these surfaces against wear and dirt, make them last longer, save on costly refinishing. The rich, mellow beauty that Johnson's Wax gives is really an extra dividend. And so are the many hours of work that you save when your things are wax protected. The next time you apply a coat of Johnson's Wax to your floors or tabletop or leather goods, remember that you are only doing what nature has always done. Did you know that when you rub a red apple and it shines, you have merely buffed up a waxed surface? That's true. And man, throughout the ages, in protecting his things with wax, has merely imitated nature. Today, Genuine Johnson's Wax, paste or liquid, has a special role to play in helping you to take better care of your things, making them last longer, protecting their beauty. The squire of 79 Wistful Vista is a man of instant decisions. He decides important questions in a flash, just like that. Of course, he may not do anything about it right away, but he decides quickly. For instance, a problem has just come up that, uh, but maybe you'd better hear about it from Fibber McGee and Molly. So I says to myself, I says, look, McGee, I says, the country's got plenty of fuel, oil, and coal, I says, but they got a problem of distribution, I says, transportation. Well, I asked myself, what can I do about it personally? And that made me sore. <laughs> Don't be so stupid, I says to myself. You know, one of these days you'll get so mad at yourself, you won't speak to you for days. <laughs> well, I almost did this time. Well, I says, looking myself right in the eye which was kind of hard to do because there's a wobbly place in that hall mirror. <laughs> well, you got to convert our furnace back to coal burner, I says, because coal is going to be easier to get in this locality than fuel oil. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. Where's my pipe wrench? <laughs> you didn't have a pipe wrench. Huh? No, you barred it for Mr. Toops and I gave it back to him. You never smoke a pipe anyway. <laughs> oh, I see. I don't smoke a pipe, so you give away my pipe wrench. <laughs> well, will you permit me to keep my monkey wrench if I go out and buy a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> now, don't be ridiculous. Besides, I don't think you can change our furnace from oil to coal by yourself anyway. Is that so? Why, it's a cinch, Mrs. McGee. Or it would be if you didn't play Mrs. Santa Claus with all my equipment. Well, I guess it serves me right for not putting a padlock on my tool chest, I guess. You had one on it once, remember? Huh? And I could never get you to fix anything because you could never find the key to the padlock. I didn't... I didn't need a key. All I had to do was hit it a whack with a hammer and it'd fly open. <laughs> well, then why didn't you do it? I couldn't. The hammer was in the tool chest. <laughs> Look, dearie, uh, why don't you call the Wistful Vista Furnace Company? They changed our furnace from cold oil. They could change it back again very simply. No, sir. I'm strictly a guy that likes to do things with his own hands. That's how I'm going to have to do it, too. Now, you've given all my tools away. No, I didn't give them away. I gave them back. Anyway, we're getting off the subject. What subject? Our furnace. What's the matter with it? You're going to change it back from oil to coal. I am? Who said... Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I better get started. Hand me a cigar in the morning paper, will you? What for? Well, i got to read what the weather's going to be. The paper doesn't tell what the weather's going to be, McGee. In wartime, it just tells what the weather was yesterday. That's all right. I intended to change the furnace yesterday. <laughs> anyway, I got to sit down a while and figure out exactly what to do. You see, the efficient way to do something... 
Who's that? Oh, it's probably one of the neighbors come to get his hacksaw back. That hacksaw is mine. Are you sure? Sure, I'm sure. The guy I borrowed that from moved away from here years ago. <laughs> That's different. Come in. Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. Hi, short, dark, and weather beaten. What's on your mind? <laughs> heard the news, kid? Yes, we heard. St. Louis won. I don't mean that, daughter. Circus is coming to town next week. Oh. Thought maybe Johnny here would want to go down there with me and carry water for the elephants. Who, <laughs> <laughs> me? No, thanks. Never again for me. I tried it a couple of years ago. Didn't they give you a free ticket? I do indeed, I do. I'll call him up right away. Hand me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me the bowling alley behind Mert. How are you, Mert? Oh, dear. Oh, there's a little thing, Mert. Here's that. What's that, Mert? Your brother. Called to Washington as a Balkan expert. What had he been doing, McGee? Training army mules. Oh, no answer, Mert? Okay. Good night. Good night, Al. The director of Wallace Whistle heard on this program was played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Dallas Mike's finishes for Home and Industry. Writing you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. The program is reached to from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's Fibber McGee and Molly. And what the day of that show, Patricia? That was June 1st, 1943. Wow. And we're still loving this stuff. Sure, yeah, I, I, two things caught my ears. I, I, I know I never heard a show before. So oh, this no. Was, yeah. Yeah. Did everybody, did you recognize the, um, the, the guy who, after Fibber, uh, destroyed the, uh, cigar counter? Oh, the manager of the bowling Right. Did, did, did that voice sound familiar? I, I have to admit, I went to get something to eat, but this is from memory. It sounds like the one... Who later played uh, the chief, the police chief? You got it, Patricia. And uh, the great Gildersleeve? You got it. Good for Patricia. Yeah, I don't know the poor man's name. Uh, uh, Ken Crispy. Uh, who... Oh, was that Ken Crispy? Yeah. So that was him. Thanks. And the other thing that caught my ear, you know, when he was in the waiting room with the, uh-huh. uh, Dr. Gamble, and they were talking about what was there, and they were talking about the book Berlin Diary. Berlin Diary, yeah. right, and he said uh, something about a biography. People will write yeah. about themselves. Or... And that, that is, um, oh, I, and I'm drawing a middle blank. That's the famous uh, war correspondent who later wrote the Third Right. Um, and I can't help you. Yeah, I am just, uh, I'll think of it in my sleep, probably. And I read the book a couple of years, it's a great book. I uh, It kind of talks about how he got into radio and doing early broadcasting in Europe. Um, huh? And so I would highly recommend anybody getting the Berlin Diary uh, as a book. It was one of those things that just went sailing through my brain mm-hmm. and I couldn't catch it on the way through. Yeah, yeah. But oh, oh, oh it'll oh, be there. Those were two things that caught my ears out of that broadcast plus the fun of the show. Cool. And, and I want to thank, uh-huh. want to thank, uh, we had a call, uh, Michael Comstock from Seattle. I want to say hi to Michael. He is uh, one of the past, pre- the past vice president of reps, and he was telling me 
Uh, that's the meeting today went well, and they used Patricia's trivia question today. Oh, cool. Yeah, so Larry Albert, who everybody would hear on Saturday afternoon for an Imagination Theater, he was the MC, but let, uh, letting all Patricia's questions go out there. So they used your question today, uh, Patricia, and so I just thought I'd let you know. So if anyone is listening and they got the same questions that we're talking about, mm-hmm. somebody ought to call in with the right answer. 714-545-2071 is our number. And Here's a quick recap on the questions. Where is the S.C. Johnson Company located? The name of the town and the state, and that's the uh, manufacturer that produced Johnson's wax that sponsored Fibber McGee and Molly. The second question is, finish the lyrics to the Rinso jingle, Rinso white, Rinso bright, that's the end of it. And the third one is on You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. Uh, That was a show that was on radio before it was on TV, and George Fenneman was the announcer on TV. Who was the announcer on the radio? And Googling is acceptable. And if if they just want to call in and say hi, they're welcome to. Oh, yes. And I have a whole bunch of feedback here for you. What do you know? Uh Uh-oh. Are you ready? Ready. Okay, we've got, I'll, I'll leave the chat room for just a minute. There were some suggestions on your must-hear shows that you were talking about before, but I have an email um, from Richard up in Toronto. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Richard, if you're still listening, I mean, if you're not, of course you can't answer me, but uh, Richard, we'd love to hear from you and say hi, but I'll go through your list with Walden. Um, When I get finished with the list, Walden, he's asking about some information about the conventions that you have been mentioning periodically and he would like some information or know where to get some information. We'll we'll be happy to run all that um, down. What he says is, as for introducing old-time radio to newbies, I am going to step away from the obvious choices of any suspense. Um, and although I do think Amos and Andy have quite a place historically, given their actual possibility, how about our popularity, rather, how about these? The first one for comedy is The Great Gildersleeve. Hooray! I like that. Just as good as Fibber. I have to agree. That's a great comedy. Good. And um, The Detectives, that's number two on his list. He said Philip Marlowe and Spade are on his list uh, as well, but he also likes Richard Diamond. I do, too. And uh, he said because it has phenomenal sound effects. Well, that's an interesting thought. That's, that's, that's very good. I like that. Yeah, good. I, and, and he's right. My gosh, when you think back, we're so accepting, or I am anyway, I'm, I'm so accepting of nuances, and my mind can blow them into actual situations. You know, you hear a ding-ding, and you think it's a trolley, and you can hear the trolley, but the ding-ding is behind the, <laughs> the person who's at the microphone, and it's not very good. But I never I, I never would have picked that up. Richard Diamond. And we're going to talk about Richard Diamond next Saturday night uh, oh, at Carpenter cool. Show. So. Very excellent. Yeah. Okay, and he has a question here, and you can tell me whether or not this is true. It said, did you know the name was supposed to be an irreverent poke at Sam Spade? I did not. That's what he heard. I did not know that. That's a new one on me. It is a new one on me. Richard, please call in. Where did you hear that? Yeah, that's good. And number three on his list, um, Westerns. The obvious one is Gunsmoke, but he liked Fort Laramie with the Canadian Raymond Burr. 
and I really liked Fort Laramie. That's a good show, too. Mm-hmm. Excellent show. It's so well produced, and it was historically correct. I did a little bit of research on that show not very long ago. They actually researched history and maps and locations and streets, and they just they pushed it to the wall. They would not produce, and I'm saying they, I don't even know who did it. Uh, the show was historically correct and as precise as they could make it. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Similar, similar what they try to do for Gunsmoke. A lot of the people who were involved became historians of the West. Uh-huh. Yeah. This, uh, on Fort Laramie as well, they maintained the historic integrity of the show. It was really a fort, mm-hmm. as probably most people know. And having someone go to the trouble of making sure that history was well represented, I think, is laudable. Absolutely laudable. Okay, number four on his list is the Campbell Playhouse, and not just the obvious one of War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. which I think would be a wonderful inclusion, mm-hmm. but A Christmas Carol. I love the production. I think that's a wonderful suggestion, Richard. Richard. I, that's a good, I love the way that it produced. I think that's part of the reason why that show still played on AM radio, I think even today. Uh-huh. Cause it, it's so rich. I, it, that's a great show. That's it a, is. The, the voices, yeah. the acting, the, yeah. I, it's just so good. It the was music. the best one that was ever produced. That's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about A Christmas Carol in just a second. The fifth and final on his list, X-1. He said it was way, way ahead of its time. <clears throat> um, Tested the, oh, it tested the imagination in all sorts of ways, and indeed it did. That's a great show, X-1. Yeah, yeah. I, I especially loved the little comedy routine they occasionally came up with, the comedy plots for that. Yes, yeah. yes, they were believable. Mm-hmm. And that's what separates science fiction from fantasy, is that there is something believable about it or that you can envision something happening in the future. That is science fiction. When you get to fantasy, you get into the virtually unbelievable, um, magical areas of fiction. So it was truly a science fiction show. But I wanted to ask you about A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Ronald Coleman had a version of A Christmas Carol. Correct. And it was really very well done. Mm -hmm. But I wondered, when I was listening to it, even though it was a, a great production, why... Somebody would think to go up against the Barrymores and the the traditional uh, Orson Welles. Why would they choose to do that? It was um, that particular property was done by more than one actor. Uh, I think he, I even there's even uh, several record albums were put out. Oh, I, that part I can believe. And because uh, Ronald Coleman did one in 1941 mm-hmm. for a, a competitive. Uh, Record company, and the time he got to do it in the late 40s, his uh, uh, favorite story, my favorite story, I think that's the time when he went ahead and did the radio version. Uh-huh. I, I think, I don't know, that's a great question, Patricia. I don't think I know the answer why, but I think it was a, I think it was probably such a, a wonderful vehicle that a lot of actors wanted to take a shot at it. And, you know, forget, Lionel couple of years didn't do the broadcast. He was sick. Right. And so that allowed uh, his brother to take a shot at it in the 30s. And I guess the message felt it was a 
a good vehicle for them to do a Christmas offering, especially if you were a dramatic show. Yeah. They they went ahead and took a chance on it. Um, yes, it, it struck me as so peculiar with all of the creativity radio was working with to put together Christmas shows. I mean, Damon Runyon had some fabulous Christmas shows. Yeah. I just love them. And I think they should be on the list, too. I think the Christmas show, too, was better in the hour format. I, I just like the one-hour versions that we have. Uh, it starts very it, – it's got a very slow start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one-hour version? Yep. You're quite a few minutes into uh, Orson Welles' introduction, and we're talking about Christmas and yada, yada, yada. And, 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 you, finally, got the, uh, and you got the Christmas carol. Five yeah. minutes before you're even close to the story. But I just love the way it paced. Maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm willing to go, stick with it. Once you're into the story, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a frustrating beginning, I think. My opinion. I, you know, I mean, everybody has individual well, opinions. I have a trivia question for you. For me? For you. For me, the baby of the family. That's right. You've you heard Orson Welles' Christmas show a few yes. times. Did you did did you have you ever listened to the opening commercial and heard the sound effect? Can you mm-hmm. tell me what you think that is? Obviously, I've heard it. Give, what was the commercial? And maybe I can tell you the. Uh, it's, it's it's when uh, it's the Campbell Playhouse. It's the Campbell Soup. Right. And uh, you know the the, the commercial spokesman is working. You know this is not the, the Campbell wants to give everybody a Christmas gift, and we want to allow the the kids stay up to hear this uh, Campbell Soup uh, Christmas gift to the family. So, while he's reading that commercial, can you imagine what, there's a sound effect in there. Can you tell me what that is? I can't imagine what it is, but okay. the image that came into my brain was bubbling tomato soup. Oh, you're very good. Here, I, I, will, I will demonstrate what I think the sound effect is. Okay. That's what I heard. I didn't hear anything. Oh. Sound like they're opening up a champagne bottle. Oh. And so, if you turn that up, that little, you'll hear the little pop. You know, we salute, pop? yep, we'll salute our little, uh, we'll salute the fr- to our friends. Okay. Yeah. If you tell me they had champagne on Christmas Eve, I'll believe you. But well, I don't... <laughs> it, 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 whatever was in a bottle, yeah. maybe they'll get opening Campbell's soup, I don't know. Yeah, that's the one. That's the first thing that comes to mind to me about when we say lot. But 
probably Bill thinking something else. That'd How many be... hundreds of those shows were made, do you think? Well, um, of the half-hour version of 435. Out of 435 shows, do you know this week I listened to the shoebox one? Hooray! Is that incredible? Everything is kismet. Everything is kismet. Yeah, and 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 of the four, and of all of them do this. Richard Carell, Charles Carell's son, has them all, and what's been released to the hobby, two hundred of them. Wow! So hopefully, Rich, uh, you're listening to us, and I'm trying to track you down to future guests, because he loves Amos and Andy, and he's a great historian. I've been to times when he speak about it in public, and uh, he loves his his dad's work. I love Amos and Andy. They were creative geniuses. I hope he's listening. I hope so. And, you know, he did okay for himself. Did he? Oh, that's good. You know, anybody has, can anybody tell me what, what, Carell, what, what TV show did he produce? Oh, gosh, I don't know. In the 1970s, it was Happy Days. Oh, my word. Not bad. I know you said that one other time, too. Yeah, not bad. So, Rich, (laughs) Rich, I'm going to look, I'm going to keep working for you. I want you to be a guest on the show, so. Because I know how much you love talking about Amos and Andy and talking about your dad and, and his buddy Freeman Godson career. Mm. And, and, you know, the nice thing about it, they remain close friends to the, to the day they passed away. That is so encouraging yeah. to hear that. So yeah. many people who worked intimately together in, in writing and acting and performing and something like this, they just didn't stay together. They weren't glued for life. It's so nice to hear that. Yeah. And, uh... Cool. There's yeah. one other show in here. Sure. That someone mentioned. It is The Good News Of with Frank Morgan. Do you know which show that is? Oh, sure. Those are the good, the good news shows. Those are the, uh, the Maxwell House Coffee Good News shows in 1938. And those is where most of the Baby Snooks routines come from. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, of course. I, I recognize the name, but I didn't know why. Now I know. Yep. Thank you. See, that's why I keep you around, Walter. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why oh, we're... so sassy. It's getting late. <laughs> that's why we're so good buddies. Anyway, 714-545-2071, our hot number. 714-545-2071. Richard asked about the convention, so let me go over that with everybody. Um, I guess Michael go in order. If you are uh, live near Cincinnati, Ohio, their convention is coming up the weekend of May 7th and 8th, Mother's Day weekend. And our friend Bob Hastings and Rosemary Rice and Esther Geddes McVeigh will be there at their annual guest. They're pretty much their uh, favorites there. Um, if you want more information, the best place to go. It's www.oldradio.net, and that's Charlie Summer's page. A lot of us are subscribed to his free Old Time Radio Digest, and Charlie keeps, I think, a blog and a page for that convention. Uh, Bob Chet runs it, and it's basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a different type of a convention. Um... It features a lot of people who deal in memorabilia and things. And then they love to do two or three recreations. And what they do, because uh, they only have two or three stars, they have op- opening casting calls. So if you're a fan, you get to try out for a part on the show. 
And so that's part of the thing. That, that's part of the fun of that particular convention. If then they get in and people, you know, do an open cast and they pick and choose who what, what person would be fit better for this role and that role. What's fun? And then they and people, audience type people get to perform with some of the professionals. Yep, and that's what happened. I love it. Yeah, and what so. What a neat thing! I that, did not know that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's one hallmark of that convention that because they only got two or three guests. All the other roles are filled out by the people who attend the convention, and they all try out. And they, and then the director picks, well, I think you're good in this show, I think you're in that show, and that's what they do. And so, occasionally they do a couple uh, presentations, but not really. It's mostly there for socializing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's where people love in the Midwest, and they get together. Uh, this one will be the 24th annual Nostalgia uh, Convention. And go to oldradio.net. And then in June, it's reps. And let me go over the guest stars. I'm currently booking on that. Yeah, nothing like live radio, as Walden says. Looking at my Fib McGee and Molly list, seeing what shows we're going to play the following week. Okay. Reps, it. This year going to be uh, their website. Uh, we now have a a convention website for reps, and Brian's been working on it. But you can take a sneak preview at www.repsshowcase.com. That's R E P S S H O W C A S E dot com. We'll go to the traditional reps website, repsonline.org, and what you do, what you're gonna see over there is the guest lineup. You're gonna see the link to the YouTube of the what you if you've been visiting reps the reps website, you see some of the recreations we did last year, and what Brian's been adding the last two three days is highlights. 20, 20, 30, 40 seconds here and there from different presentations and different uh recreation over the last three years. And that way give you sort of a warm up sample. We're gonna put the biographies up there of the performers, order form. And this year is June twenty five, June twenty sixth, and June twenty seventh. And right now confirm is is Shirley Mitchell to Alice and uh, Patricia's favorite show, which is Deborah McGee and Molly. Good. And also Leela Ransom. Uh, uh, yes, that was a great role she did. Oh, gosh, that was spectacular. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'll go on about that later. <laughs> Gloria McMillan, who is our friend, um, who is Harriet Conklin. She'll be with us Friday. Uh, see, looking at this list, Rosemary Rice, who is best known as being uh, Catherine on uh, the TV version um I remember Mama, but she was Betty and Archie Andrews. And, of course, we'll have Archie himself, Bob Hastings, there. And Robert Easton is going to go to his first time to Seattle. And Robert has a, a great, great uh, resume of work, working on Fibber McGee and Molly, and he was a quick kid and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, let's see, looking at Stuffy Senior, our good buddy Stuffy, who... Everybody looks at him and he looks like he's in his early 40s. You know, he, he's, he is Bill the Beaver. He's still uh, 
uh, the one of the Jack Benny Beavers, still young and vibrant, and and that came back in 400 shows a, a, a year, radio and TV, as a kid. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's Positively amazing. That's just working hard. Jan Merlin, who is Roger, if you heard his interview with Bill and Mike a couple weeks ago, you know what a good storyteller Jan Merlin is. And he was Roger Manny of Tom Corbett's Space Cadet. Chuck, he was uh, good. He had some wonderful stories. Absolutely. Dick Beals will be there. Of course, uh, Speedy Alka-Seltzer. Uh, Chuck McCann will be there. He did radio. He is busy touring. He and Tim Conway are touring all over the country doing a three-person show. And right now, he's in Portland, Oregon tonight. And so go to chuckmccann.net. And click on the Tim Conway, and you can might be able to catch Chuck somewhere in the country. And he, we got we got a break. He has a week off, and he loves old time radio, so he's coming up to do his Jimmy Stewart and to do his Bob Hope and all those great voices he can pull off. And we're working on more guests, but that's reps, and we're still kicking around ideas. Uh, Patricia will be a busy bee typing up little scripts. I know we're going to do an Aldrich family. I'm just waiting for Brian to decide which one. Oh, if he doesn't take the Christmas cards, I'm going to be so sad. Yeah. And we're going to definitely do... We, the beautiful thing about reps, we try new things and we try different things. Oh, Patricia, guess what, what we came up with? Guess what we're going to try something different. <laughs> You and Brian, nobody takes a guess. Yeah, you well, you, tell you, me. you know, we're going to try What's My Line. Oh, you mentioned that. Yeah. Today, and I found a complete show. Wonderful. And the complete show has um, Oscar Levant as the mystery guest. Wow. So we're going to try, we're going to go ahead and take a shot with that. Uh, we're even going to try to do a quiz kid. That'll be fun. You know, so reps does different things. Yeah. And well, then, when uh, the word recreation mm-hmm. can be a confusion to somebody, okay, would you describe exactly what a recreation is? It's a recreation in in, in Walden term. It's taking one of the, the great radio scripts or not great radio script, and have and have the performers go up there and try to put on a radio, put on a radio show. In other words. Uh, they perform, they act like they would do in the old-time radio days, and we would have live sound effects, and we hope in some cases have live music. Try, try to recreate a radio show for the audience. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, um, the way it's not quite the same because in the old-time radio days, all the actors wouldn't be facing the audience. In other words. A lot of time when they were working, they would be facing each other and maybe looking to the side. The audience would be the side of them, and so they'd be more concentrating on their fellow actors. So here, what they do, they all face the audience, so that everybody can see, um, you know, their expressions, mm-hmm. their emotions, and things like that. But essentially, they they are reproducing or recreating, and I guess that's a, a synonymous term, mm-hmm. they're reproducing what we would have seen in 
a radio studio when an actual show was being broadcast. That's a good. And, you, you, that, now, that, now that was good. I know you you got to see a couple when you came out for uh-huh. for lunch, and I know that particular day we didn't have the best um, things happen. We had our sound system somewhat go down that day. But what was your impression in terms of the town on the stage and just the, the whole ambiance and the feeling of here, somebody who's been listening to old-time radio at that time, three or four years, and seeing some of the performers, mm-hmm. like Shirley Mitchell and Janet Waldo and Gordon, who were in old-time radio and on the stage. What was your first impression? It was a remarkable collection of people. The, the script that were done involved a lot of performers. So there was a lot of switching back and forth at the microphone. The microphone, uh, just like in old-time radio, the microphone stood in the center, and people would come up to the microphone and back off and come up and back off. And it, it was an astounding process to look at, but the production was obviously professional. It was a group of professionals coming together to do a professional show. And we got to see what was as close to um, possible the actual studio presentations that were given in old-time radio. It was really nifty. And a beautiful Good experience. And a beautiful thing about it, I thought, and I think most of the performers that particular day we had sound trouble. And, oh, boy. <laughs> and it dropped out. But Chuck McCann... And Eddie Carroll, you can see why they are pros. It was fabulous they, to hear Eddie Carroll do a typical Jack Benny drop mm-hmm. periodically mm-hmm. Um, with the look. Mm-hmm. We did this in rehearsal or the the kinds of comments. Or one line he said when the, when the sound effects were going pretty well and it died. Oh, well, we were going so well. Yes. Yes, and Chuck McCann, as you say, he came up and did the Maxwell. Yeah, they couldn't get the they couldn't get the uh, the recorded sound of Maxwell. He just jumped in and just did it. And it it just um, you know, Mel Blanc was the Maxwell mm-hmm. to begin with, mm-hmm. so it it was a real life person taking the place of a real life person. Mm-hmm. So it it was really well done. I I was just delighted with it. I have another input here. Please do. Oh yes. David Beto, the the person who sent the Danny Kaye song that Walton will play in the future. Yep. It's a World War II song, and it has to do with income tax. I paid my income tax today, and it was a promotional. It was a government promo to encourage people to feel good about paying their income tax. So it's a, it's a really interesting song, and David found it for us or for Walden, mm-hmm. and Walden will find a way to play it fairly soon. Someday. Someday, Someday. But, uh, and fairly soon. You yeah. have to do this fairly soon. But it was David Beto. And number one, <laughs> I have two emails from David. One says, hi to you, too, because we said hi to him. All right. Um, I am listening and enjoying the show. I am at the University of Alabama. Well, then. I should never mistrust your brain. That's ever. okay. I, I do make mistakes. And, and, you know, I recall having written back to him saying, my sister is in Alabama, just a little bit south of you. 
your brain is far better than mine. You even got parking space in there where I could put extra stuff. <laughs> so he said a lot of his research is focused on Mississippi, but he is at the University of Alabama. And David, thank you so much. Now, the second one said he wouldn't be able to call in tonight, but on his list, how about the Bickersons? Love it. That's why I protect Love your it. Uh, the rest of it is I never cared much for uh, Don Amici before I heard these, but he is superb, and mm -hmm. I agree with that. Also worthwhile is Pat Novak for Hire, mm -hmm. another one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. All of the Jack Webbs, Je um, Pat Novak, uh, Jeff Reagan, all of them except Dragnet are on my good list. And, of course, he... And, and I pass this on to you. He would really love to hear people are funny with Art Linkletter. So those are ones on his list. Sure. And if anybody would please write to me, let me know what I should pass on to Walden, or you can write to Walden directly, or just say hi that you're out there listening. I am at floridawriter at hotmail.com. Florida Writer, all one word. I am a writer in Florida, so it's Florida Writer at hotmail.com. Let us know what shows you think a newcomer to old-time radio should be introduced to, or which shows would introduce a person to old-time radio would be uh, better. Ah, uh, yes. So those are some of the conventions over the next couple of months, everybody, in May and June. Uh, Martin Graham will have his nostalgia convention in September, and then in, in October, the Friends of Old-Time Radio had their convention, uh, FOTR.net, and that's in the planning stages. I'm seeing notes and things like that. And that's in Newark, New Jersey, uh, not too far from Patricia's hometown. And I've been there a few times, and uh, it's definitely it, it's, it's worth the trip. If you, if you want to go back to see family in the East Coast, you know, always, if you can, Put it adjunct to a convention, so you'll have a good time. Well, I am so disappointed we had nobody calling in for trivia tonight. So I will give a little bit easier question. We still need the S.C. Johnson Company location. Googling is fine. Mm -hmm. The end of the lyrics to Rinso White, Rinso Bright, and who was the radio announcer on You Bet Your Life. Now, here's an easier one. Are you ready, folks? Little Orphan Annie had a sponsor. What was the name of the sponsor on Little Orphan Annie? Maybe that one's not easier, huh? That could be pretty good. I like that one. Okay, 714-545-2071. And you have to call before I finish describing the next show. Yeah, if not, everything gets to, everything gets to turn over until next weekend. Or we'll Pass it right on to next weekend. We did not get an answer to which Fibber McGee and Molly character and actor, or actually the actor, mm -hmm. but a Fibber McGee character was the voice of Elmer Fudd on the, uh, in the cartoons. And when Jimmy Nelson was our special guest, uh, he was giving the open line of Farfall. And that triggered, that catchphrase triggered a memory to what famous old-time radio personnel using very similar to the same catchphrase. Mm-hmm. That's so, a good question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have a second show tonight. We do! Yes, we do. It's a dynamite one. And I have a question. People will have to call in next week with their answers and opinions on this. But I have a question about something that happens in this particular show. 
Uh-oh. It is from March 28, 1950, so we are well after the war here. And the show is Flying Saucer Lands in the Yard. No explanation necessary. That title covers the whole thing. But it is a wonderful collection of Fibber's fabulous words. I mean, he's either got Fibber's flubs or Fibber's fabulous words, and sometimes he's got both in the same show. Hey, I think that's but he's it. got things like optical derision instead of optical illusion. But the really fun thing about Fibber's favorite craziness in his words, malaprops, I guess, is that he can make sense out of them. They sound ludicrous, but by the time you get finished talking with him, it makes perfect sense. It also has one of his famous tongue twisters with alliteration. All the words begin with the same letter. And this is something that you like, Walden. You have said at different times when Molly is faced with a situation with Fibber and he's getting himself into something, she says... Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) It's like the resignation is there, and she knows she cannot do anything about it. So, as a bonus, it's one of his harebrained stuff. Um, Fibber is a non-believer in flying saucers, so uh, this is a good one. However, here's my question, and you probably know the answer, but I want other people to call in, too. Occasionally, in some of these shows, we will hear what I think is a veiled reference to current politics, and they kind of sneak it into the show. Now, this is topical. It's not, you know, a general shot at the, the White House or a general shot at Democrats or whatever. Um, I can't tell if they're making good fun or they are well-done jibes at either party, uh, but obviously the audience knows something is going on because when these happen, they absolutely howl. So when we get to a line from Doc, I can't tell if he tripped over his line or if he intentionally delivered a message. At the time, Harry Truman was president. He was a Democrat. He was from Missouri, and he played the piano. Okay, so we've got Truman, President, Democrat, Missouri, piano. My inclination is to think that Doc did this um, deliberately because it it just was too perfect. But Molly absolutely lost it. You know how Molly loses it when there's a flub? Oh, uh, yes. And she gets this laugh that just is so contagious. So it, I don't think the script was written that way, but I think Doc did it deliberately. And the line is... I've never heard a Republican play the Missouri waltz mm-hmm. as opposed to the Missouri waltz, and he made it sound like misery, the misery waltz. So I don't know if it's a shot at the Republicans. I don't know if it's a shot at Harry Truman's piano playing. I just I don't know if it was just a flub that everybody got great fun out of. I don't know if it has any political connotation at all. So everyone's assignment is to listen to this show. Listen for Doc's lines, and then you tell me what it is. And you can tell Patricia next week, because the time we play the show, Patricia will run off and do other things. And And do stuff, and And you are exactly right. You're going to have to call in next week, and I'll remind you next week. But please, that is your assignment. Listen very hard for Doc's line, and uh, let me know if it's a political smack where the smack belongs, or was it really just uh, a trip over his lines? The end. The end. Well? Are we ready? 
Good night, everybody. The phone then ring. I guess it's time for Patricia to go do stuff. It's time for Patricia because her, her cordless phone is starting to chirp yeah. for a year, so yeah. our timing is perfect. All right, March. We'll carry over the uh, um, trivia questions until next week, and I will talk with everybody in a week. All right, my dear. Here we go. March. Good night, everybody. 28th. 1950. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Water Repellent Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Elvie Allman, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Fibber and Molly join us in a moment. Recent surveys disclose important news about Johnson's Glow Coat. They show that families with children are among the biggest users of this self-polishing floor wax that is now positively water repellent. Now, it's easy to see why. With children in the house, mud and snow are bound to be tracked in, water and food are bound to be splashed or spilled. Well, that's when you thank your lucky stars for Glow Coat. Just a flick of a cloth whisks mud or moisture off that hard, gleaming surface. Glow coat stays on, stays bright, even after repeated damp mopping. And here's something else that's big news. Because it's positively water repellent, glow coat now lasts up to four times longer. That means more for your money in every drop of glow coat you buy. Less work, too, because you have to do your floors so much less often. So tomorrow, get Johnson's glow coat. Whether you have children or not, you need this water repellent floor polish for longer lasting beauty and protection. It's in the familiar glow coat package. There's been a great deal of discussion lately, pro and con, about flying saucers. The pro people swear they've seen them. The con people say the pro people are victims of mass hypnotism. And here is one of the con men and his wife, Fibber McGee and Molly. And furthermore, you show me a guy that claims he's seen a flying saucer, and I'll show you a guy that the whole thing is just a mere pygmy of his imagination. <laughs> You don't mean pygmy, dearie. A pygmy's a tiny little human being. Yeah, well, they claim they've seen them, too. <laughs> Men from Mars, 23 inches tall with big heads. The whole thing is ridiculous. It's mass hysteria. Oh, now, I wouldn't dismiss the subject as easily as that, McGee. The paper said this morning that an army pilot chased one for 20 minutes. Yeah, but did he catch it? No, sir. Did anybody ever catch one? No, sir. And why not? Because they're an optical derision, that's why. <laughs> Look, sweetheart, army pilots aren't usually hysterical people. Transport flyers must have good eyesight or they wouldn't be flying transports. <laughs> I'm inclined to think that well, where there's so much smoke, it can't always be a false alarm. <laughs> okay, Tootsie, okay. You'll see. When they finally catch up with one of them things, you'll see they nobody ever will. This stuff is nothing new.